0: This boy and girl are going to be well-equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society.
1: Aloha, y'all. This is Daniel Eisenman, the host of the Breaking Normal podcast, where my guests are all invited based on the frequency of synchronicity, all done in person, and all trailblazers in the breaking of all things normal. Aloha, y'all. Uh, September 11th, 2021. About to introduce my next podcast guest, Jill O'Brien from the Wild Idea Buffalo Company. And I'm so excited to. It's actually one of my favorite episodes. I think she explains some of the most important things for humans to consider. And that being said, uh, right before I was about to do the intro yesterday, uh, my friend Jennifer shared the post from the wild idea buffalo company um that says all staff members are 100 vaccinated and then it says as essential workers safety is critical and we take it very seriously we are proud to have herd immunity in quotes that one i got offended i'm offended <laughs> i did a video with uh, first podcast guest guest ever jp sears how to get offended it's on youtube check it out Um, I'm actually sitting here because this is going to be quite the Breaking Normal intro to this Breaking Normal podcast, and I was so jarred by this post. Um, I so happen to have an ally that lives nearby that I hang out with quite a bit that's a huge fan of Tribe Vitamins and has a lot to say, but doesn't say it too publicly too often. Uh, His name is Jeremy Shalman. Also, does that really mean shaman in German? Is that what? You I'm pretty you? sure. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great. My last name in German means Eisenman, and I think Jeremy will be joining us here in the future. But I know he has ideas around this, and he also has ideas around tribe vitamins. And I thought it was quite appropriate because my uh, intention at all is not to undermine my next guest and what they're doing. What they're doing, I want to team up with. Still, I still want to team up with. However, this post I cannot team up with. So before I send y'all all to check out the wildideabuffalo.com and use the code BREAKINGNORMAL when you check out a la carte, I think they're going to give you 5% off. And they actually, that's the in the bison industry and tribe vitamins industry, because I think we're blazing such a trail, the margins are tighter than most business people would suggest. And they actually said that they could give 5% to me. And... Uh, this is like bigger than me. I'm not gonna. I, I believe in the herd that I'm a part of right now, and I think it's a herd of people that are willing to see the through the illusion of this recent post. Funny enough, and I think that's why this is quite the breaking normal intro for the next breaking normal podcast. Jill, maybe maybe we have a round two coming up. And we can talk about this, and I, I will ask blatantly. Um, when it says all staff members are 100% vaccinated, I am curious, Jill and Dan O'Brien, founders of Wild Idea Buffalo Company, I am curious, does that mean that you are vaccinated? Just out of curiosity. Because it's not clear to me from that post. Um, vaccinated with the recent COVID what I don't even know what you call it, uh, Pfizer or Johnson and Johnson. Jeremy, let's let There, there let's, are
2: three: Johnson and Johnson, Pfizer, Moderna.
1: Okay, yeah. Jeremy the is very three. well researched. I would call him a maven. If you've ever, have you ever read Tipping Points from Malcolm Gladwell? No, I haven't. Oh okay, yeah, he's a maven, and I'm happy he's here to maybe echo some of the my sentiments or disagree or see whatever you have to say. But Jeremy, firstly, um, what do you think about tri-vitamins and what do you think about what I'm saying right now? If you can can golden thread it somehow because I know it's a lot. I know it's a lot.
2: Yeah. It's interesting that they would come out with that post because right now, there's so much division in this country. There's so much... um, There's so much being said about this vaccine, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I think that people want to get behind you know, getting, getting by this pandemic and getting back to normal life. But if you just go with that narrative and say, I'm going to get a vaccine, I'm going to go back to normal life, then you're kind of missing that this whole thing is not about a vaccine. And recently, and I think maybe it has to do with you or something that happened with my ex-wife, uh, considering trying to vaccinate my children with the COVID vaccine when it's available for them, kind of brought out the, I guess, the lion in me, who's, I'm just not willing to lay down and not express myself anymore, because for a while I would put on a mask, I wouldn't say anything, I'd go and do all the things that I needed to do to fit into society, but I can clearly see now we're at a tipping point where if good people, that don't agree with what's going on right now, don't say something, at least express themselves, we could go down a path where more of our freedoms are taken from us and decisions are made by our politicians, our pharmaceutical companies, which really don't have our best interests in mind. That's my worry. Because just like what happened with 9-11, we gave some of our freedoms away when those two towers came down, they had the Patriot Act ready to go a month later and it seems like we had the coronavirus hit, and nine months later we got a vaccine ready to roll. And it's not been tested. It's new. We don't know what the side effects will be long term. And the only narrative is you have to take it. Nothing could ever happen to you. And me being immunocompromised, I have uh, some issues when I'm dealing with my health. I have mold toxicity, SIBO, H. pylori, and and. I'm just not going to wind up and put some stuff into my body that i'm not comfortable with and actually going to tie this back to tribe vitamins when i started taking the tribe vitamins my digestion got better i noticed that i had a little bit more energy and that um compared to i was taking beef liver before beef liver supplement and for some reason it gave me the worst belching over and over and over and i love daniel but i wouldn't just blow smoke up his ass this is actually something that happened I started taking tri vitamins just to like see if it worked and I didn't have the constant belching and I noticed that my digestion is slowly but surely getting better so thank you my my brother.
1: Wow, what an intro. Now I'm really excited about the future podcast with Jeremy even more than when I yesterday by yesterday I mean a few seconds ago and uh, let's build that anticipation to get Jeremy on the show if you're willing to do a full interview. Um, it so happens that our daughters are best friends of sorts. They're also making each other's lives better. And this idea, just I could talk about a lot, but the cow and the bison and you having those issues, I find that very fascinating. Because I think it's, um, it's symbolic to the world. And that's what we talk about with Jill. She talks about that one of the biggest problems in the world right now is monocropping the Great Plains with soy and corn to feed animals in confinement. And it is, and I don't want to give it too much of the podcast away because here it comes. But maybe something Jill and I did not talk about was um, I, I didn't know they were going to make this post, and this post seems like a very like a, without Jill. I'm, I, you're a, you're a sharp cookie, so we can we can we can have this conversation. And once again, this is my main point of this podcast: is heart sync over groupthink that we can team up with people even if we disagree with them. That. If I was gonna, no, I can't promote the Wild Idea Buffalo Company because they did the vaccine thing. Then I would be a victim to this as everyone else is. Because what y'all are doing is genius and it's brilliant. I have so much respect for Jill, and I, I'm. This post alarmed me, and I, and I wanted to. Uh, it is not time to be a sheep, and um, it's time to be a bison, and it's and it's time to be the bison that doesn't get run off the cliff. There's a crazy situation where when the Europeans came and almost wiped out every bison on this land, they found a technique from my understanding that if you can get a one or a few bison running fast enough within the herd and scared enough, then a group think thing takes over and you can really get them going fast towards a cliff, like the herd mentality. And then the bison are so fast and so heavy and the way their eyes are set, they're not able to slow themselves down. And that's exactly what I think is happening symbolically right now that so many people are so scared about so many things because of a few, a few people or a few, whatever you want to call it, a few entities that there are, 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 are we running, or is a lot of humanity running themselves off a cliff right now? Um, and I think that's where Tribe Vitamins comes in with the bison and why I feel it's time for us to like stop right now. And think for ourselves, and turn around because one bison is extremely dangerous. It's ex- even though it's a prey animal. Together, one bison by itself thinking for itself is extremely dangerous. You get the whole, her- uh, a few of the herd thinking for itself. You've got a very uh, powerful thing going on, and right now I'm a little scared that power is being leveraged against the herd, um, by the sake of a few parasitic predators and it's working, and it's actually symbolically happening through uh, what I would say vaccine mandates, and what I recently heard with this 6 prong plan um, mandated by that puppet two days ago. Satan's puppet, arguably, from some perspective. I'm just not, I can't sugarcoat it either. You know, you talked about the lion. First of all, lions love liver. <laughs> the alpha I think the leader lions get the liver first. Um, because it's so powerful, and I've been on liver. I've been on bison liver for a long time, a longer time than ever right now, and I feel like a lion too. I, I can't lay down either. I, I, I was never interested in like a literal war, like where people kill each other with guns or swords, but I under, I understand more than ever now. This is all spiritual, and because we are in the spiritual war of a lifetime, this is arguably the best time in my life not And I signed me up for the front lines. I'm here.
2: I just want to reiterate and 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 look at that point that you made that you don't want to not work with a company simply because they're vaccinated. You don't want to have the same philosophy that's being pushed onto us is if you're not going to take the vaccine, then we're not going to let you participate in society. There is division that is being put throughout society right now that is so unhealthy, and it's been happening and escalating quicker and quicker and quicker. And the thing that we all need to realize is if you get vaccinated, wonderful. If you think that's the best route for you, wonderful. We may not feel the same way, but we need to come together. Because the main thing that's happening is we're being divided so they can conquer. And there are very, very few people at the top that are making decisions for the world right now. And if you look at the state of the world, it's not very good in some ways. In some ways, we are destroying our planet. We're destroying our water. We're destroying again, what, what sustains us. And the only way to fix these things is to come together and to not say, you know, you can't be a part of my society. I don't want to work with you if you're, if you're going to be doing certain things. We all need to unite and, and, and realize that there is something going on in our world right now, and it's not each other. We, we are one people of the earth, and if we don't wake up and we don't come together, we're fucked. And I think Jill would
1: say the same thing about buy bison instead of beef, actually. <laughs> and I am excited for her to uh, to introduce her to the show. And Jill, I'm so excited for us to have a conversation after this is released. And I'm so excited if you're inspired to buy Tribe Vitamins, tribevitamins.com. And if you're excited to maybe switch your um, the animals that are more... F- from confinement or you don't even know where the meat's coming from, put an order online at the Wild Idea Buffalo Company. I literally got about 100 pounds of hearts delivered yesterday and about 40 pounds of bones. And those hearts um, will be, the intention is to get those back into supplements because we had that last year and a lot of people enjoyed that. You haven't tried the bison heart. No, not yet. I can't wait. (laughs) Yeah and uh, yeah keep keep going on that liver i I love i love taking liver every day i like mixing the elk and the bison together um it gets a little more esoteric but i feel like they both have a bit of a different essence i think the bison's more potent as that lightning struck and jeremy thanks for uh, showing up tonight we're about to celebrate with uh, some bone marrow right now also a little research and development (laughs) anything else before
2: we uh enjoy that no man just uh think for yourself and realize that you have a lot more power and you are a lion Rasta.
1: I'm here with Jill O'Brien uh, from Wild Idea Buffalo Company. Is that correct? Did I say that 100% correct?
0: You are 100% correct.
1: Okay, awesome. It's a real honor. I, I don't know how many podcasts y'all have been on or if that's a thing you usually get inquired about. But to me, y'all are like a bit of a under the radar, over the radar operation doing something so sacred and special that it inspired me so much that when I started Tribe Vitamins last year, I made sure that the first supply came from y'all. And that's for a variety of reasons. Um, I, personally, I love the name Wild Idea Buffalo Company. Welcome welcome to the Breaking Emerald podcast. Before I bias people about what it is y'all do, um, are you are you willing to maybe explore out loud wh- what it is you're doing these days and what Wild Idea Buff- Buffalo Company is all about? I and mean, then I'll have plenty of questions for sure.
0: Sure, I'd be happy to. I mean, just let
1: me to Yeah, we're ready.
0: All right, all right. So Wild Idea Buffalo Company is a meat purveyor, uh, 100% grass-fed, grass-finished, humanely field-harvested bison meat. That's really just the byproduct. That's what we're selling, the finished product. What it encompasses is really more about who we are and what we do. And what that is, is we are a large landscape grazing operation whose mission is rooted in the soil. And as a way of nurturing that soil, we're returning the buffalo back to their homelands to where they can be well they were the keystone species of the American Great Plains. So returning them back to their homelands. They're the gardeners of the prairie. They are roaming as freely as what our land base is. and we monitor the number of animals to what that land base can hold. And that's why harvest is important. But they're roaming over these grasslands, nurturing, the very soil that is producing this bouquet of grasses and forbs and sedges that they are then eating and turning into a fabulous, fine, healthy, sustainable red meat that then in turn can nurture us. So it's a beautiful, symbiotic, uh, circular system um, that is good for the planet and good for you and good for all the species that that roam on these on these grasslands and call it home we're inclusive we we don't manage our land just for bison we manage our land for all the species that inhabit it
1: wow thank wow wow thank you thank you beyond words how long have you all been doing this
0: um my partner um started on a smaller ranch about 25 years ago and um, got the ranch mass up to about 1200 acres and realized that real conservation on the Great Plains, which is this vast prairie landscape, right? Which is currently being plowed up, but real true large landscape conservation to really make a big impact would require more than twelve hundred acres, and using the keystone species buffalo as a prominent grazer and management tool, they're roamers. They need they need to roam. They need to do what they do to really be and behave like bison, and as they did, you know, two hundred years ago or three hundred years ago, um, before fences were brought in and, and cattle and all of that. So before we reduce them to farm animals, right. That's an insult.
1: Okay. For the people that are unaware, like have no knowledge of what keystone means. Can you expound upon that? What is a keystone species?
0: Um, A keystone species is one of the main species that would make an ecosystem function as a whole. And as my partner Dan often likes to say, you can't remove the largest ungulate from a grassland, which we almost extrapolated, right? In the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, and not have that ecosystem change and not have the inhabitants change. And so that's part of what we're doing is trying to bring them back um, to their native homeland and put them where nature intended them to be and allow them um, to have their space and place and to create their natural magic without us interfering or at least minimally as minimally as possible.
1: Well, yeah, I I, it's all this is all so fascinating, and um, it brings up a lot for me. One of the things that I think other people could get involved with, I think it was a book, maybe American Serengeti, um, and it talks about. Is that the? I'm imagining you may know about that. Is that the
0: book? I know the book. I I I apologize, I haven't read it, but um, yeah, often the grasslands, the American grasslands, are compared to the Serengeti. You know, the American Serengeti.
1: In the way I remember the book, don't quote me, but I remember the author painting a picture that the Great Plains, which is now kind of known as like a, for the normal folk, like a dust bowl, they don't really go to. Like, that's not the top of the list for destinations. However, that it, before the Europeans arrived, it was like one of the most lush um, parts of Earth ever, lush and beautiful and huge animals roaming, like, millions of bisons that would take days to go through that where these people could easily live off this grand supply and the whole circle of like, I've heard these ideas that bison are better for the soil because they're bigger and they irrigate the soil better than cows do. And um, it, like th- this thing goes on and on and it goes to the pronghorn. It talks about how the pronghorn and how all these animals, uh, that create this amazing ecosystem that would be like comparable to the Amazon of places to visit, got replaced with like monocropping farmers. And it, there was a dust bowl that happened and the bison almost became extinct. And the, so did a lot of these animals. I mean, that's just like a general golden thread of what I remember from that book. If you have any details of what you know about this. And if this is tied to the passion of why you're doing what you're doing, I would be honored to hear about it.
0: Well, I don't have any details, just as I mentioned, I, I specifically to the book that you're speaking of um, because I didn't read the book, but I'm going to try to back up here in my thought because they're all over the place. Um, the American Great Plains are special because they are, they evolved over time to produce these beautiful, beautiful grasslands. Part of the reason um, why they were the last, if you would, to be plowed up is because of rainfall. And, you know, when you, when we think of people say, Oh, you're from the Midwest, right? And I'm like, no, the great plains is sort of, um the Midwest actually gets rainfall, which produces crops. But when you start plowing at prairies in the Great Plains, which are very arid, um, you've, you've got a dust bowl coming your way. And we're not particularly smart. Like, we're, we haven't really learned from our mistakes. Instead, what we're doing is we're trying to figure out how we can produce uh, a GMO seed that is drought resistant, right? That's not the solution. That's a losing proposition. Um, We're plowing up grasslands to plant corn and soybean to be harvested to feed animals in confinement. Losing proposition, right? All of these grasslands out here, I I just want to, can I show you? Okay. I'll just give you my view. Please, please uh, do. So, this is just out, out my studio. Can you see okay?
1: Surprisingly well. Wow. Okay. Wow.
0: So all of these grasslands here, their roots go way down under and they are sequestering tons of carbon, right? And to, to plow that up and to plant an annual that is going to have to be Fertilized and sprayed and and um, and then harvested for for food, for animals in confinement. just it just does not make any sense. and it's batshit crazy, quite honestly. Um, so what's protected them for this long is really the lack of rainfall. And um, the southern half, maybe more. Um, established than the northern part of the Great Plan- Plains just due to in climate weather. You know, we get winter here. We get severe winter below, you know, minus 30 degrees below zero. It's a little uninhabitable. So that too aids in the protection of these prairies. But the buffalo that we're speaking about and the inhabitants that you mentioned, the antelope, the Ponghorn, elk, the deer, they all evolved in this ecosystem to not just survive, but to thrive and to feed it. And in turn, it feeds them. And if we let nature take its course, produces some of the healthiest, the healthiest red meat on the planet, for the planet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me, uh, be, I could, I'm, I, I'm going to save myself from diving into too many like big metaphorical questions about the bison and what's going on currently culturally and all that, I, because you keep mentioning the the healthiest red meat. Yeah. What, why is bison healthy? Why do you say that? Why do you say health? And I have my ideas, obviously. I, my I mean, main passion what? in life right now is selling bison liver. <laughs> um, one of my main passions. So, I'm curious that from you, why do you say that? What does that mean? What if someone has no idea about bison? So a lot of people, I guess, have never eaten bison.
0: Well, I think you're the nutritionist and you should be the one answering that question. I'm just the rancher. Um, Trying to leave the world just a little bit better than what I found at least this little patch of it. Um, So why is bison meat healthier? Um, I can only speak to Wild Idea Buffalo Company bison meat, okay? So why would it be healthier? It is 100% grass-fed. It is 100% grass-finished. It is eating the nutrients in those grasses that are rooted in the soil biome, which we are now, I'm speaking over my head here, because this is new stuff that people are finally piecing together, and I'm sure you're informed on this as well. And so the soil, the earth's, the soil biome is directly connected to our own gut biome. So, Michael Pollan, I believe, coined the phrase, you are what you eat, and you are what you eat eats too. And so, when you think of bison roaming over grasslands, eating just what's underneath their feet, you know, and nurturing that prairie in turn as they graze, um, and then taking it a step further and doing a humane field harvest, causing no stress to the animal. There's no cortisol in that meat, there's no fear. I have enough stress in my life, I don't know about you, I don't need it to come from my food supply, right? So you're you're putting an animal down just while it's grazing. Um, That meat is clean, the aroma is clean, the taste is clean, rich, delicious, the nutrient value is is higher. Uh, You can go to our website, we have some blog posts on that. Um, We've had our our product tested, Um, but the real science, I think, is really coming. We're on that cutting edge of knowing about about the the linkage to our soil health and our gut health and how important that really is um, for a variety of different diseases. And some of them, of course, um, you address with your product. Which is awesome. But um, yeah, that answer your question?
1: Yeah, well, what it brings up to, for me too is I, I probably ask you a tough question because um, I, I constantly get asked like what's in the bison liver? And I'm like, wow, I could tell you about the like a, a absurd amounts of retinol, heme iron, the B vitamins, a, a unique combination of zinc and copper. But I think it's way beyond that. I think it's how it is. It's there. It's already there. There's nothing to explain. The results speak for themselves. And there's something that I think is impossible to emulate. Um, And it's funny, like I've been talking to a lot of, uh, and there's a lot of people that invest in food companies in Boulder. And it seems like a lot of investors right now are interested in fake meat companies, probably because like the scalability and a lot of other reasons, and I'm just like, wow, wow. Like this is part of the issue. And you brought up some issues too. Like this is really stupid, the way these things work. And um, I'm not sure how to exactly find the root of the stupidity. I imagine like following the money would help. Um, but I, the, your answer reminded me of my answer. I just like, I don't know. I'm not doing anything. I don't know how to say exactly why this works. Is it's, it's the bison liver. It's what the main predators and the people the eight for as medicine before fences ever arrived, before pharmacies ever arrived, before money ever arrived.
0: I think you touched on something, and, and you, you just I'm going to dive in there a little deeper with you, if I may. Um, we could both recite like high in folate, zinc, copper, higher in B's, um, vitamin D. Um, uh, what is it? A, a high in omega 3s, lower in sixes. It's like a six to three-one ratio or something like that over conventional um, feedlot bison meat. And, and, and your audience should know that 92% of the buffalo race for food um, in this country uh, and in Canada are raised in the cattle feedlot model. They should, they should know that. But so we could rattle off the statistics, right? People can Google that. They can go on our site. They can go to USDA and, and find that information. And, and I'm sorry, I can't read it off to you right now. I just don't have it in my brain um, memorized. But more importantly, you alluded to it's, it's more than that. And um, my partner, Dan, he likes to say it's a, it's a communion of sorts. And, and I don't want to get overly religious, but, you know, we have this separation um, with our food supply. We we go to the grocery, we see meat covered in saran wrap and on a foam tray or something like that. And it, it looks like, oh, that, that'll that be good. We, we have no connection with it. We have no relationship with it. And and I, I think, or if I'm putting words in your mouth, um, I think you were alluding to that connection that we have to know. It's our it's our job to know where our food comes from. It's our job to know how our food is raised. And it's not easy. It almost requires a PhD anymore because marketing is really slick and everything's greenwashed and they make everything sound wonderful. You really have to know your producer. And we try to offer transparency with who we are, our operation, um, our, our large landscape grazing operation, our humane field harvest. We want to pull people in and share that experience so they too can have that intimate relationship with where their food comes from. I personally feel like we need to be able to look at that animal Look it in the eyes, even thank it, you know, to consume it, and and if you can't do that, and I, I get where that might be uncomfortable, I get that, but but to know where it comes from, I th- I think it's our responsibility. We eat too much meat. Period. The end. We eat way too much meat. It doesn't have to be a daily experience, but it should be of a higher quality and of a higher value, and it should nutritionally. Feed us as well as soulfully feed us. It should lift our spirit. It should elevate who we are and how we are and how we relate with the natural world.
1: Yeah. Now you're reminding me the answer that I would like to give more often when someone asks me what's in the bison liver, I would like to say, have you ever seen a bison? (laughs)
0: Like,
1: have you ever been around one of those? Mm -hmm. It's well, a different experience.
0: It's water, grass, and sunshine. And you're absorbing all of that energy, and all—excuse me—all <clears throat> of those nutrients that the soil holds, coming up through the grasses, and that's—that's that's what you're getting. You know, the meat is a byproduct of all of those things.
2: Well,
1: a uh, big question for you know my uh, my whole business, my whole future business of tri vitamins. grain finished. Is that what that means? But like, I've heard this to you and I've done a lot of research on this because I'm dealing with the next, my numbers have shown like a hundred million cows to about 400,000 bison and 90 plus percent of bison are grain finished. And I'm like, well that leaves me a limited supply of livers. How can we get those other 92% to do like what the wild idea Buffalo company are doing?
0: That's a, that's a really good question. And it's a huge part of, um, you know, of of what we do is to show other producers that there is another way. Um, the The trick is that it's expensive. You know, um, a lot of producers have fallen into this cattle feedlot model. It's the quicker, faster version, and so your your income is based on how quickly you can turn that animal into food. That's not our that's not our model. You know, we allow things to grow and be as nature intended them to grow and be, and to harvest them when just from looking at them, they look like about the right weight to harvest. Um that's that's our of doing it. We don't confine them, feed them, fatten them up, make sure that they all weigh X amount of pounds. It's not like that at all. You know, we just allow nature to do its job. Um, But it takes longer. And so when a producer thinks about switching, they have to factor in that economic shift um, because there's going to be a drag. And so we we try to work with them as best as we can to to pull them into the fold, and uh, you know we we currently work with about seven other producers. Some are larger, some smaller tribal herds, but there's a there's a growing trend, um, m- most definitely I think, and there's hope. You know, it's small, but it's there, and um, and I I. I think it can only grow. I really, I really do. But but the biggest push in the growth of that is consumer demand.
1: Well, that's a big point.
0: You know, I I have the saying that we all want to save the world, but nobody wants to pay for it. Right? And that comes down to what we put in our mouth. You know, if agriculture or food consumption is part of our growing global climate crisis, we have to make better choices. And I can get on my soapbox and talk all about that. And then I have to do a self-check and I have to look at the other things that I'm doing in my life from, you know, my, my other purchases and, and how that is impactful so it's it's not a one-trick pony, you know. We have to hold ourselves accountable. We can't just say, "Oh, we're concerned" and vote for this policy or that policy, but not have our actions change. That's not going to work. We're the drivers. Well, I,
1: I so happen to know probably handfuls of people that are looking to. Probably start their own ranch or get off the grid a bit <laughs> for many reasons, and a few of them have even said, "Like, I wonder if we could get, like, is could this be a bison operation? Like, if people are interested in aiming to ranch bison, are there some like obvious things that they should know right away?"
0: We do get that question a bit. Um, I think. There are a lot of good models out there, but there are also um, some that are not so great. We, Where you put your ranch is, will determine the amount of acreage you need to have a bison herd, OK? So for us in arid South Dakota, that equates to 35 acres per animal. Okay, So we have um, about a thousand animals and we have about 35,000 acres of grazing. So throughout the year, they're moving over this landscape, um, allowing them at least, you know, of course, they're moving over large landscapes, but the calculation breaks down to about 35 acres per animal. So it depends upon where that, that bison ranch would be um how much rainfall what the land can support and we manage our land for droughts we're in one now and as mentioned before we also manage it not just for bison but for all the other species that share that land. you know where we've got um uh, pronghorn and deer and occasional elk and they're all moving through here eating this grass and and they're all invited and welcome um so we manage for grout and we manage for other species so what i would say to other producers or other potential buffalo ranchers um would be uh, you know assess where your your property is understand what the land can hold base your herd on what it can support so you don't have to haul food Right, and add to that, um, as in bringing in, you know, hay and food for them to supplement what what is growing from the earth. I, you often hear like, "We oh, we, we just started a buffalo ranch. You know, we got a hundred head on fifty acres. That ain't gonna work." You
1: know, is that literally like people? They try that. I, I don't understand. Cause based on your other numbers, I'm like, that's a drastic difference. Or was that, I, cause I'm not so familiar with the industry I'm trying to learn here. I'm like, was that an exaggeration or is that literal?
0: It, it may be just a tinge of an exaggeration, but, um, you can't have 500 acres and a hundred head of Buffalo. That won't work. Makes sense
1: yeah oh yeah that, I mean I, I like I'm thinking some friends might listen to this and will literally like under want to know what you think, so what's the minimum amount of uh, bison you think someone should start a herd with on a ranch?
0: Well, it depends upon where that ranch is and what the rainfall is and what the condition of the land is to start with there There are so many variables that would go into that equation or that answer. <sighs>
2: I love
1: it. Um, wh- and then another question that's coming up: So, why? What is why the cow? Why is like the cow over the bison? Long story short, do you have an answer to that?
0: The cow over the bison. I don't understand the question. Like,
1: why is there a hundred million cows to uh, four hundred thousand bison? Uh,
0: well, we killed all the bison. Remember, we were trying to. Um, I think also wipe out the Native Americans by removing their total food supply in their home and their clothing. they relied on the buffalo for all of those things. And by getting rid of the buffalo, you could potentially get rid of the, the Native people. It didn't fully work, did it? Um, and luckily, it didn't fully work. So um, both are coming back. Those are coming back strong and we couldn't be happier about that. I think I've sort of side stepped your question there and I forget what it is now. So help me.
1: No, I think you are answering it. And I've wondered about those same things. Um, why is there a hundred million cows to 400,000 bison? How did that happen? And why is that happening? Do you have any ideas?
0: Well, I think, we just have to look at history and, you know, the, the, the white settlers moved in and, and uh, the cows were, were brought up through, wasn't it? Um, I want to say Spain, I forget, but anyway, through Texas, I and mean, this was free grazer country, right. When the settlers came in and this was all free grazing country and not owned by anybody. And, uh, Cows are a little bit more docile, a little bit easier to control. But, you know, the, the main reason why there are so many cows and not as many bison is because we killed them all. And there's, there's no other way to put it other than that. We almost wiped out our national, our now national mammal.
1: Do you, on that note, because I, I want to catch you right there. Is there something else that's like going on like that right now in the world? Do you think like is that what we almost did to the bison, almost happening right now, with something?
0: Well, it's happening to hundreds of species. I I believe I can't name them, but I'll I'll um I'll mention birds. Um, the and I can only speak to the area in which I live. All right, Daniel. So I I don't mean to, you know, say this as I'm sweeping my arm with a broad brush across um, America or the world for that matter. But um, we're losing species constantly. There are over 200 ground-nest species of birds in the American Great Plains. They come here to nest and raise their young. Um, I'll use the meadowlark as an example. We all know the meadowlark. Do you know the meadowlark? Yellow-breasted has that beautiful spring song that just sort of announces spring is here. Um, I'm an East River dairy farmer's daughter. We had meadowlarks all over the eastern part of South Dakota. I'm in western South Dakota now, and there are no meadowlarks in eastern South Dakota anymore. All of that land, that patchwork quilt of, of grazing and farm, it, it's all industrialized cropland now. And there are no more meadowlarks because we have destroyed their habitat. They're ground nesters. And... Um, that to me, like a spring without a meadowlark singing its song, that it's it's arrived. I, I could start crying right now. I mean, that is, that should stop us all. Like, what are we doing?
1: And uh, to be clear, what is causing? What do you think is causing the removal of that species? The farming or the
0: yeah, so um, ground nesters require grasslands. And when you're plowing them up to put monocultural crops in them, and and farming has come a long way since I was a kid, uh, 40 years ago in Eastern South Dakota, it's changed dramatically. You know, those the riparian zones barely exist. Everything is plowed right up to the road. It's just the habitat is gone. We are planting every single inch and corner we possibly can for corn and soybean.
1: All right. So what is the, the main stressor that's demanding corn and soybean? Just so people that might want to take action, be like, wait a minute, if supply meets demand and I'm contributing to this situation with the birds and beyond the birds, bison and beyond, why are, what what is, why is uh, yeah corn and soy so in demand and what can people do about it
0: it's food for animals in confinement 70% of the crop plants grown is this, this is this is what you know industrialized agriculture hides behind 70% of the crops planted throughout america are planted to feed animals in confinement and the big lie is we're feeding America, right? And if you peel back that veneer, the the costs and the IOUs that come with a model like that are irreplaceable because you, you can't bring back the metal block. You're not going to bring it back. You know, you can't. I'm just using one bird, but you know to think that we almost wiped out the bison but the, we're losing species at a very rapid rate because we're plowing up their habitat and we're plowing up their habitat to raise food for animals in confinement when you think about the when you think about that just on an emotional level it should disturb you when you think about it on an economical level because so many of those crops are subsidized. It's cheap food in the front, right? It's, we always say like, oh man, you can get like five pounds for $10. You know, we're all about like how much, I get it. I get it. It's hard to feed our families. I understand that. Um, But cheap and fast is not the answer. You can you actually can buy a higher quality food and have less of it and supplement it with other things, and and it will be more nutritious for you, healthier for you, and healthier for the planet. And you get and you get to hear the metal arcs in the springtime. Now that's the cherry on top for me.
1: Oh, I, yeah, I love that you made out of all, like you mentioned, there might be thousands of examples, but you what's most personal is most universal. I used to have that printed on the back of a breaking normal bus I had. What's most personal is most universal. So I, I thank you for sharing that. Is there um, anything else you want to make sure we share? because I think we yeah time is I think we bent time a little bit. so um, yeah, I just want to make sure you, if there's anything else on your heart that you just can uh, say that.
0: Pondering here, um, I think I want to be clear. I think, a, you know, a lot of our neighboring ranchers who raise beef—they're good land stewards. They're good people. It's it's what we're it's what the consumers are demanding that drives how we do things, and. If we want cheap, fast food, that's what you're gonna get. If you want to improve your health, and you want to improve the planet's health, you just have to make better choices. And it might cost a little bit more. But the cost of the things that we're talking about, a landscape, Species, your health, they're they're irreplaceable. And guess what? They're expensive. So the cost up front might seem cheaper with that, you know, feedlot model meat. But if you seek out A truly sustainable, 100% grass-fed, grass-finished, mainly field-harvested. It's very rare. Um, But it's very important because there's no trauma or stress to the animal, cleaner taste. It is going to cost more. But guess what? It doesn't come with an IOU. You can eat it with a clear conscience. It can fill you nutritiously, and it can fill you spiritually.
1: Well, oh, thank you. I'm happy to ask that. Um, let's talk about that field harvest real quickly. Some people want to know what that means. What I understand that to mean is that someone shoots the bison down in the field. I'm imagining in the head from a distance where it's, it's not a it's not a stressful situation like going to a feedlot. Uh right, we have like for instance, we have the um for the elk liver. I don't know if you've heard of them in Texas, they do these they they do this thing and they go out with an inspector on site um, with spotlights and silencers and take out like 200 a quarter. And um, they have like an electrolysis machine and just drain the blood right there. And I'm like, and they, they're claiming like, yeah, the, what the elk here is, is that's it right there in the wild. No issues. And it sounds like y'all are like doing that somehow with bison. And I, and my understanding, like, what about the USDA? Like, how did y'all do this? What if someone else's what if another bison rancher is listening to this? Like, how are you doing this?
0: Yeah, so um, we have a, a movable harvester arbiter that goes out. Um, it's a big semi-truck that basically has a slaughter. It's a slaughter floor, um, and it has a refrigeration unit. But that truck pulls out onto the prairie, a large pasture, 500 acres, let's just say a 1,000 acres and the buffalo are out there grazing. There's a separate pickup truck with a sharpshooter and a inspector, either state or federal, based on what state we're in. We have both, we have certification for both state and federal inspection based upon what state we're harvesting in. And they really mirror each other. Um, There are are really no differences. and, and the, they drive out in, into the buffalo herd and the sharpshooter or the rancher might be riding in the backseat saying that one right there. The inspector gives it like, yeah, it looks good. And the sharpshooter waits until they have that shot that is perfect and clean so they can drop that animal without it knowing while it's grazing in the pasture. Boom. That's it. Lights out. Mouthful of grass. And then that, that carcass is in, picked up um, with an, a lift gate on the back of that truck and then transported to the semi where it is skinned and eviscerated. They do bleed it in the fields. Um, and, well, they're still in the fields when they take it to the, the harvester. But it's skinned and eviscerated in the truck and have, and then those carcasses go to a cooling unit and then they're transported to our plant in Rapid City.
1: The sharpshooter.
0: Mm-hmm. You got to have a sharpshooter. <laughs> um, you, you don't want this to go bad, you know. Um, we really take our time. I have photographed it and I have uh, videoed it. And you can go to our website. You go to Humane Field Harvest. We show the whole thing. Uh, tastefully I would encourage your listeners to give it a watch um but again we want to be transparent with you and uh with with how we do things and um none of us take taking a life of an animal um without thought and gratitude um but it is that circle that continues to allow us to regenerate these American Great Plains, to continue that cycle, to grow our land base, to grow the buffalo herds, to truly bring them back. And um, it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty healthy cycle. It works.
1: Yeah, I think it's amazingly inspiring. I'm super thankful to be connected with y'all. Super inspired to be able to buy some of our supply from y'all. I recently learned that orca whales um, kill great whites for their liver. Did you ever hear about this? Yeah. Oh yeah, there's like a lot of research coming out, specifically South Africa, where these orca whales, and apparently the shark's liver is like, my understanding of a bison liver, say a thousand thousand pound bison might have a 10 pound liver, roughly. These great white sharks, 25% of their body weight is their liver. And these orca whales allegedly are killing them and like surgically removing their liver because it slips right out. Oh my gosh. What about you and the bison organs and or liver? You have anything to say about that? I, I don't know if you like it. You know, liver is a kind of a taboo thing for certain people. Certain people just can't even stand the taste of it. And they, and some people love it because they grew up on it.
0: Uh, I have to share a story. Please, please, please. Okay. So let's talk about liver. This is awesome. So, um, I, I, um, foodie restaurant tour um, uh, that's my background. And when I joined Dan and wild idea, um, I am kind of a bean counter too. It's like, okay, what do we have? What's selling? What do we need to do? And, and so I went in and I did inventory of the product that we had on hand. We had all of this sliver, And at that time we were not um, um, doing the finished processing. We were field harvesting, but someone else was, cutting it into roasts and steaks and, you know, liver and breaking it up, all down and packaging it for us. And so I went into the packaging facility where our products were being produced. Keep in mind, this was like 23 years ago or 20 some years ago. And I'm like, Hey, what do you guys do? Cause we had this abundance of liver and I'm like, what do you, what do you guys do with all of your liver? And he said, what liver? I'm like, we're, we're harvesting like 12 animals a month, and you guys are pushing 40 animals a day through here? Like, wh- what do you do with all the liver? And he said, oh, it doesn't pass inspection. Yeah. So think about that. So if the liver is a filter of our body and animals that they're harvesting or I'm slaughtering at this plant – because they they did their own, but they also would take ours and we would bring them in field harvested and they would cut and wrap them for us. But they were a full-on slaughter plant and they were slaughtering their own animals um, from feed yards and what have you. And because they were being fed such a hot diet of like corn and soy and that kind of thing, um, cirrhosis happened to the liver and our liver is inspected right on that trailer and it, like ninety nine point nine percent of it passes inspection, and here it was just being disregarded because it had cirrhosis of the liver. And I'm this- like, oh my! It was just like, if you want, like a, I got it. Lights on. I mean, that is a story to share and share and share again.
1: And I've I uh, once interviewed one of my local friends in Georgia that does Asian water buffalo. And this is, he had a very similar story that he went to a local processor that harvests the grain fed animals locally as well. And when he would see the livers of the other animals compared to the livers of his hundred percent grass fed water buffalo, um, his looked like purple almost and like standing, like they looked alive, like like they would stand up almost. And he said the other ones were like orange ish, like yellowish and like, wilting it was like he said there and and yeah you're right that's got to tell you something about the importance of maybe not feeding ungulates grains like anything to like say about that what what is is
0: Uh, they're they're meant to eat grass that's what they can digest you know and when you force something to eat something that it's not designed to eat um that's a bad idea. You know, they're fed antibiotics so they don't get sick because they're in confinement. And, you know, it, let's use um, um, uh, goose liver. You know, they wait till the first one dies because they're being fed all this food so They can get plump and juicy because that's what we want for the Pogwa. And uh, it's, uh, you know, frowned upon a little bit and then people love it. So you just you just don't know. But,
2: uh,
1: now the the field harvest, real quickly. The, once again, the, how does the how do you not go through the USDA? That's or is it because bison are an exotic animal and you can be inspected by your choice? I'm just kind of curious about how that works.
0: Yeah, well, um, we are both on our field harvest. We are both USDA and state inspected. We have licenses for both. Okay. Yeah, that's, uh,
1: that, that's probably going to get into the nitty-gritty that we could um, not go into the details for the show. I mean, I know we're almost at the hour mark. Um, let's make sure there wasn't anything else. Oh, yeah, y'all are right along the Pine Ridge Reservation, right?
0: Yeah, I, I want to answer the question, but to your point, yes, bison are non-mediable to the Meat Inspection Act. They're considered an exotic animal. So they can cross state lines under state inspection without being federally inspected to answer that part of your question. I
1: like bison, like kind of reminds me of, of like cannabis and then like the laws that I hear about, like uh, what, wait, that's federally state. What state? What, what, what's really, um, I think the USDA thing is kind of crazy Um, from my understanding, it seems like somehow it's limited most people's meat choices to a very slim supply compared to what's actually out there compared to like a hunter.
0: Well, you have a very good point there. Um, yeah, I, I really can't even respond to that. I have a variety of emotions on and feelings and opinions more than anything on, um, USDA and state inspection. But, you know, it's good to have law and it's good to have regulation. And um, we always welcome that. We always welcome, you know, being made to adhere to high standards. We don't mind.
1: Am I still there? Yeah, that's a a great answer. Well, thank you. Holy moly. Holy moly.
0: Pine Ridge right there. Just across the Buffalo Gap National Grasslands,
1: yeah. Is there any collaboration between what y'all do and what they're doing over there? I I haven't been, I've driven through South Dakota, but it's like one of the, I've been to all 50 states, but I have, it's one of the states I've spent the least amount of time in. So I would be really excited to go spend some time over there and see with my own eyes, the beautiful land that y'all are stewarding with all those bison.
0: No, um, we are delighted and honored uh, to work with Native American partners who raise buffalo, tribal herds and private herds. Um, if if for no other reason, I mean, it it brings economic, you know, prosperity to whoever we're harvesting from, and how they raise their animals is harmonious with how we raise ours, um, but I would like to say that the, the, you know, the buffalo are a bridge um, in relationship building, um, allowing us to have the opportunity to heal, you know, through the buffalo, through this commerce, um, where we have the opportunity to form relationships, and uh, you know move forward and uh, just honored and privileged for that opportunity
1: yeah yeah this is about, the bison just brings up a lot in general i think it's a really cool really cool captive somehow i i got captured i got like i feel like i got captured in a bison herd somehow
0: well, you need to come and visit. I know I we've tried to come through before and um, COVID, of course, happened and things were crazy and different. But uh, mm, they might get a little crazy again here right now. But Come visit. We'd love to host you. It's been a pleasure to be with you. And thank you for buying your product and for putting it into an awesome capsule that people can consume to improve their health. Appreciate that very much.
1: Oh yeah, it's a real honor. It's all—it's all, it's all like—it's a bit beyond words for me. I'm—I feel a little giddy and just honored to hear, um, hear it directly from you. So, thanks again, and we'll be in touch. And I'll—I'll uh, I'll share this soon enough, so more people can maybe notice the bison herd that might be around them or wants to be around them.
0: All right, Daniel. Such a pleasure to meet you and see your face. Really enjoyed it.
1: You too, Jill. We'll talk soon, hopefully in person. Bye-bye.